There's wild boar, oh. sweet corn fritters, strangely enough. But that's that's a little bit little bit fusion, isn't it? A little bit boho. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight out of Shoreditch. <laughs> I think if he did do it, it's a cheat on George Martin's part because he's managed to do it without thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Tyrion, happily thinking about nothing else in case anybody was listening to his thoughts, poisoned the king. Somebody just yeah. needs to take him aside, sit him down, buy him a pint and be like, Peter, you're a knob-end, mate. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Shark Liverall's coverage of George R. R. Martin's A Storm of Swords. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And, oh, episode nine already. Can you believe it? Time's flown, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've still got quite a bit of book to go as well. Uh, this week, we are reading from, if you've got the two-book version of the... Okay, here we go again, <laughs> as I do every week. A Storm of Swords by George, a Storm of Swords by George R. R. Martin is often sold as one or two books. If you have the one book version, you're going to have to just go on. Um, what we're saying begins and ends at each chapter. If you have the two book version, you're reading along with us. We're currently on book two of George R. R. Martin's <laughs> A Storm of Swords, which is called Blood and Gold. <laughs> I hope this is making sense to somebody. So, um, if you've got the two book version of. <laughs> Let me, let me get through this because it's the worst part of the week <laughs> if you've got the two book version of George R.R. R. Martin's A Storm of Swords i.e. book two, Blood and Gold then we're going from page 221 which is a chapter about Tyrion beginning Tyrion dressed himself in darkness as far as page 269 a chapter about Jamie, which begins spoiler alert and I mean a spoiler alert which begins the king is dead so um, that's the period of the book we're talking about today. I've said this spoiler because we, if you're reading along with us, you should already know that. And uh, Dave, are we ready now to finally get into the meat of this week's episode? I am ready. In fact, this this podcast is one I've been waiting a long time to record. Schadenfreude. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before the festivities begin, and I do mean the festivities, let's start with Tyrion. This chapter, where Tyrion's dressing himself in darkness. Uh, Tyrion and Sansa are married, um, but they couldn't really be more further apart from each other, could they really? No. And, um, you know, Tyrion's dressing himself on his own in the dark, uh, getting up for another miserable day with his wife. And um, he sneaks off down to the room where they keep the dragon skulls for a bit of a long time with Shay. Uh, Dave, <laughs> first a, thoughts, mate. In a romantic setting, honestly, like if you if you've got a secret love on the side, even if you've been forced into a politically expedient marriage where, where everybody knows is a sham, right? And don't take your paramour to a room full of terrifying mythical skulls. Surely this is this is elementary. Like I'm not saying I'm a particularly good date, but I I know not to do that. What about you? Is there a subtle well, kind of is is this a subtle way of putting on the Barry White that I'm missing? What do you reckon? Well, nothing says power like enormous fucking dragon skulls. <laughs> <laughs> we should all make we could publish that the Shark Liver Royal Guide to Dating <laughs> point one. So nothing that. says power <laughs> like enormous dragon skulls. 
<laughs> I reckon they should get like a a, car, a new car which they sell him, like maybe a four by four with the Dragon Skull on the front, and the, that could be the tagline. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh dear. Oh. We're, we're, very, we're, we're very enough topic. Tyrion and Shay, the ongoing. I mean, it, it's all wrapped up in this. How how no one really sort of loves Tyrion, isn't it? It's actually quite sad how mm. he um how he relies on Shay, and you get the impression we've had a uh, the last time they had this meeting between these two. I don't know. Do you get the impression that it is a, a genuine love affair? This or is it more about you know Shay's doing a job? I don't really know because. And I don't know whether this is a choice on George Martin's part or if he just likes writing sex scenes. Because I can't think of a scene that they had together where they didn't just basically end up shagging and mm, where the yeah. scene wasn't just about them having sex. And so it's extremely difficult in reading a scene like that to work out whether the woman having sex with somebody you wouldn't expect her to is acting like a prostitute or not. Because all of her actions would seem to kind of tally with that. Um, but I don't know. He's not paying her, is he? Have we have we um, had anything about money changing hands? Well, I think he is insofar as she's getting a lot of of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he he originally put her in that mansion, didn't he? Oh, and, that's um, true. Yeah. And gave her all that protection, and he's, he's basically said you can have whatever you want mm. as long as you stick with me and only me. Uh. That was the kind of the agreement at, at the fir- first sort of transaction, wasn't it, when they first met? So there's. There's this interesting. He thinks back to this conversation he's had with Varys, where um, Varys has said that if the Queen asks him to give Shay up, he will do. Varys mm. will do. Mm. And he's kind of, yeah, from Varys's point of view, as a eunuch as well, he can't. He says, "I don't understand why you are taking such a risk with this with this woman, um, and it's it's going to get you into trouble, basically." Mm. Yeah, and and Tyrion is is sort of aware of that, isn't it? And he's playing on his mind throughout this chapter. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I don't know, but there, there's, I have the same sort of sense of something crumbling here with Tyrion as I did the same sort of horrible sense of foreboding as I did when when the Starks were heading up towards um, to the twins before. Well, that's not good news. Or the infamous Red Wedding. Yeah, not yeah. quite that pronounced. Because I was kind of, I was sort of, when they started heading to the twins, I was kind of waiting for a big plot point. Because it, it was about time, because otherwise we just had a sod of a lot of them walking around the place and not doing very yeah. much. Whereas Tyrion's had a lot of plot. So I'm a bit, I don't feel the same sort of, it's the only reason I'm reading about this person is because something awful is about to happen to them. I don't feel like yeah. that at the moment. Um, but, I don't know, it's still, yeah, yeah. weird. Hmm. Weird, I can't well, see, on it. It's the eve of Joffrey's wedding to Marjorie, and this chapter ends with with Tyrion basically deciding that he's gonna he's gonna leave Shay. It is too dangerous, and Varys is right. And for as much for her safety as his own, he feels they need to part company now. Yeah, and mm. it's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? Even though we're not sure whether she's a prostitute or not, it's like mm. it's really sad because because now Tyrion is stranded not having anybody around to care about you know this astonishingly self-sacrificing thing for him to do hmm let's move on to the next chapter because we'll come back to that yeah. uh, chapter about Sansa 
She is going through a, a deep and um, unusual hell at the moment, isn't she? Uh, insofar Good. as how she's she's stuck with uh, her husband is in a family which has brutally murdered most of her family. Yeah, and um, she sees no escape. It's hard to make a case to say her fortunes have improved uh, despite the fact <laughs> she's not marrying Joffrey anymore. But I suppose the one yeah. thing she can, the, the one token of comfort she can take, and um, I think Tyrion later on thinks this as Joffrey's getting married mm. at least she's not marrying Joffrey <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's a big at least isn't it yeah that's like you know I mean so you might have gone bankrupt but at least you weren't torn to death by little tiny dogs you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> like always at least a it's not right. raining at yeah. least it's not yeah exactly <laughs> cheer up it could be worse you could be marrying Joffrey Baratheon is a fairly convincing statement isn't it, it you're right yeah. that would be worse <laughs> So they're having the, the wedding breakfast. Tyrion gets uh, gets uh, Joffrey this book called "The Lives of Four Kings," and uh, it's a really it's one of the I think it's only one one of only four of these in the Seven Kingdoms, beautifully made and illustrated mm. uh, book. And Joffrey, throughout this wedding, from the start to its dramatic end. Um, is all he wants to do today is humiliate and effectively bully Tyrion, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's he's just relentless, and it, and it starts here at the wedding breakfast. Um, Joffrey gets this new sword, which um, he rather very in a very Joffrey way names Widow's Whale, and uh, <laughs> and he, he his first act is to chop up the book. Uh, it's not from it's not page one paragraph one of how to be a gracious king is it like why is he why like i mean as much as i've you know i'm i'm number one member of the joffrey's just a wanker tool club Hmm. um like like why why like what's the upside in being like this on this of all days why is he thinking about an uncle he dislikes yeah, I think well, his character is just entirely malicious, isn't it? Yeah. I think also, and there's a, there's more than a, a hint of madness about him as well. Mm. Um, and also, I think it's the fact that he had a power struggle with Tywin. Well, not sorry, he had a power struggle with Tyrion, mm. and it was and pretty much lost. Tyrion was in control, wasn't he, before the Battle of Blackwater? Yeah, um, and. And now he's finally the tables have flipped around again, and he's in the position of power, mm. and he fully intends to exploit that as much as possible. And yeah. I don't know; he can't let it go, can he? Um, yeah, I just, I think there's an element of the fact that Tyrion's station is naturally low, um, as compared to the rest of the family. So he's the weakest in terms of, you know, he, he's he's the weakest in the family in terms of social status. So that's the person that Joffrey will as a as a typical bully will go for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he can't leave it alone can he no no yeah you're absolutely right there's, there's an interesting thing that Joffrey says when he gets his when he gets a sword which has been made it's one of those two that Tywin made out of Ned Stark's old great sword ice so it's Val- Valerian, Valerian steel mm. and Joffrey says when he gets it I'm no stranger to Val- Valerian steel and that just sends the cogs turning in Tyrion's mind now yeah. When he thinks about the Valyrian steel dagger that was used in the assassination attempt yeah. against Bran, yeah. who we all we all assu- we assumed and he assumed so far was the work of Cersei. Mm-hmm. Not the most kind of 
sympathetic of characters herself, right? No, of course not. And obviously a prime suspect in this. I have to say, though, that, like, I know that it was supposed to be a massive plot moment where I'm supposed to be like, my God, he's right! But actually, mm. I totally didn't buy that sequence of reasoning. Or it seemed to rest far too much on Joffrey's mental, which is mm. it has always been a kind of risky, risky thing to hang too much plot off of. Because mm. also he was 12. Like, and, at the, you know, the time he left the castle, he was supposed to be marrying Sansa and, and all of this stuff. Like, if it was Joffrey, then then I think that's... To be honest with you, it feels quite clumsy. It feels like George Martin going... It doesn't feel like something that's been planted since moment one. Yeah, it feels like a stretch. It feels like a bit of a kind of, oh, gosh, uh, and it was Joffrey. Uh, all right. Anyway, moving on. I'm the author, so what I say goes... Just felt yeah. really. If if this is if that was supposed to be a plot reveal, then I think it's unconvincing. I hope that it's unconvincing because it's not true and there's actually some other story behind that because that would be more interesting. But yeah. So and is it mainly because there's a I suppose an unconvincing motive there because Joffrey yeah. wasn't party to why Bran should be kept quiet. Yeah. And so so it wasn't like a mum dad I got this leave it with yeah. me. You know? Yeah, yeah. well, also, as a child, I mean, he's very young at the mm. start of A Game of Thrones, right? Like, mm. a, he's very young, deeply unpleasant, potential psychopath. But, you know, I feel like, I feel like um, Baylor, you know, the episode where, um, where Ned gets his head cut off, mm. is a big turning point for Joffrey as well, actually. Like, it's where he kind of realises that he can be as unpleasant as he wants now. And, and and all of that. Uh, I don't. I didn't really see that in his character before that. I just saw this kind of petulant entitlement, but I didn't see. I didn't see a psychopath. I don't know. What, well, what I, do you think? Well, I thought in the in the scene with Arya and Micah, remember when they're doing the sword fighting? Yeah. And he comes in with his real sword. Yeah. I from the way that was written got the got the distinct impression that anything could happen there, and he genuinely. Could ah. could kill that guy, kill that boy, just because he feel, feels like it. Yeah, and I don't. I think there has been. Uh, you can read into it two ways. I think I don't think either one's right or wrong. But I always saw. I always thought that there was an element of madness in Joffrey, which meant he would he would be one of those kids who could do dreadful things to other kids. Mm. Um, so I do. I, I didn't have a problem with that, but I do think that the um, the problem of there's a problem of motive there. It seems a strange. A strange yeah. thing for, but then I suppose if you if you're going to go down the line of he's he's a bit crazy, then crazy doesn't need a motive, does it? Yeah, and that's kind of my problem, really. Is you've got to be really careful with how you handle that because otherwise you just sort of you end up with you end up feeling a bit like I feel at the moment, where if it's true, I'm just like, oh, that's so oh, right. So he was mental. So I can't mm. I can't care about any of the rest of his actions because he just might do anything, you know? Yeah. Um, where well, you know, which is a moot point, isn't it? Hey. <laughs> but um, you know, if he was going to survive longer than about another the next sixty pages, then I would be, I would be pretty pissed about that. So, yeah, yeah. We we move back in terms of point of view back to Tyrion um, when we move on to the actual ride over to the Great Sept of Baylor and the big wedding which takes place. It's this massive grand wedding, beautifully written and fantastic, and you know. It really puts you there, and it's kind of like the in terms of appearances. If you're looking at this without any story behind it and no character, mm. you're just looking at the say wedding pictures. If you like, it looks like the fairy tale wedding, doesn't it? This dashing young prince, this beautiful yeah. young princess coming together to get married. 
yeah. actually he's a king isn't he but still you yeah. know uh, but it's all sets this backdrop of just crushing unfairness, really, isn't it? That's the main theme I got from yeah. this whole the whole wedding in the in the in the great set. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's and you have the sense that all the people who've organised it are sort of comfortable with that. <laughs> you know, kind of being like, yeah. yeah, this is yeah, we won, yeah, fuck the lot of you. Um, it, you know, very strongly comes across, you know. Yeah. Uh, we we move over to um, I think the, as we mentioned already the only other thing I wanted to say about the actual wedding ceremony is how Joffrey consider uh, Tyrion considers that it's a small mercy that you know Sansa's married to him at least she's not married to Joffrey. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, on to the next bit and they they have the ride back so it's in three parts this wedding isn't it? there's the breakfast yeah. there's the wedding and there's the sort of feast afterwards. Yeah. Um, actually, interesting, semi-interesting aside, that's why we have wedding breakfasts um, at sort of in, I don't know if you're doing it anywhere else in the world, but in England the meal you have is called the wedding breakfast even though you have it at sort of mid-afternoon yeah. and it goes back to the back in the day, you had a, literally had a breakfast for your wedding. Yeah, or you, um, yeah, or you fasted anyway. for your wedding, right, and then you broke the fast by eating mm. together. There yeah. you go. Um, so Shark Liver Royal so, bringing you both Puerile punditry <laughs> and interesting historical facts since 2013. It's the mix, Dave. It's, it's the mix that it's the mix that the listeners love. That's what it is. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Carry on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we get to this big feast, and again, if you thought the uh, if you thought the ceremony was uh, outlandish, <laughs> then you've not seen anything yet because there's a super duper. Was it a 77 course feast they have? Hmm. Um, which is crazy, especially considering I think as Tyrion does that, yeah. um, there are still starving children in King's Landing, and they're having a seventy-seven course. And he meal. thinks about that. Yeah, seventy-seven courses yeah. is just so perfectly overblown, isn't it? Just like yeah. it's just mental. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh. And I thought I also thought it was interesting on this theme of unfairness and people not quite getting what they deserve. Consider uh, comparing the the wedding food here to the to the horrendous stuff that was served up even before the death was served up at the Red Wedding. Huh, if you yeah. remember when you went through all that with the yeah. thin leek soup and the jellied calves brains. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. here we've got uh, creamy soup with uh, mushrooms in it. Yeah. We've got uh, some... What have we got here? A pastry uh, of... I can't even read my own writing. But anyway, oh, there's wild boar. Sweet corn fritters, strangely enough. But that's that's a little bit little bit fusion, isn't it? A little bit boho. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight out of Shoreditch. They're, pull, <laughs> they're pulling out all the stops. They've even got sweet corn fritters on the go. Oh, no um, messing. I, I bet, certainly I bet yeah, I'll tell you what they've got as well. I bet they've got those tiny, tiny little samosas where you, cannot, yeah. you can't have only one. Yeah. Moorish samosas. Moorish samosas. Definitely got them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's be- really nice food, and I don't know. It just again, if you're in any doubt as to how unfair this world is, the fact that the psycho king Joffrey's sitting eating all this stuff yeah. compared to what um, Rob had to put up with before his uh, violent death yeah. uh, an hour or so later, yeah. that really sums it up. Yeah, there's a there's this uh, there's this continued this continued sort of. I don't know attacks on Tyrion from Joffrey. Yeah. He can't even during the middle of this celebration. He can't leave him yeah. alone, um, it, and he's even arranged some entertainment to uh, 
to humiliate him further, which is these two dr- jousting dwarves. What did you well, make of that? It's, I mean, from, I mean, it's obviously it's kind of quite, um, uh, quite a pointed insult. Although, I actually was quite surprised that this was, this was supposed to be a pointed insult in the world of Game of Thrones. Because it's not a terribly politically correct place, is it? Like, as, as much as, nowadays, we have an appreciation of everybody's finer feelings, regardless of their station in life or what they might look like, in Game of Thrones, it seems yeah. very clear to me that nobody gives a shit. So, like, so, have we had any evidence before now that Tyrion has had a chance to hang out with other dwarves? And kind of feels a sense of fellow feeling with them. Because I would expect that now, but I wouldn't expect that in a world like Westeros. So it actually felt a little bit a little bit weird that this, that this was kind of such a shocking thing. Because I just... Just because of the way that everybody yeah. talks about Tyrion, I'm just like, oh, right. So clearly people like this are routinely devalued in this culture. Fine. Well, not fine, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think I, it's, it's a known thing. Like, it wasn't shocking to me when Joffrey came out and did something like this. Yeah, I think it's interesting because as Wayne Tyrion said, he immediately assumes it's a, it's 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 engineered to have a yeah. go at him. And then um, it's kind of, that's compounded when Joffrey begins to actually link the two together and he actually, you know, asks Tyrion to get on one of the... Uh, one of the pigs, yeah, uh, the I, little dot or whatever, and start jousting himself. Fair enough. That's where the insult becomes becomes meaningful to me. But I just, yeah. it's kind of interesting that Tyrion went went sort of straight there. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's not like being born rich generally tends towards empathy, is it? In, in a world yeah. like this. Yeah. So, anyway. Other forms of entertainment include um, songs being sung uh, about the great Lannister victory. And the the winning of the War of the Five Kings, involving Joffrey, if I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, involving um, the brave I, Joffrey. It's not. Tell you what, it's not. It's not who wins the battle. It's who writes the song that mm. defines the history, isn't it? The idea of Joffrey, who spent most of his time in his room playing with his sodding Lego, being yeah. hailed as the hero of that particular battle. Like I don't know about you, I really felt it. Like mm. that to me was much more, much more outrageous. Yeah, and I like this idea as well of uh, it's just hammering home that history w- written by the winners as well, isn't it? And um, it makes it made me wonder just how true these tales of old that we've heard are as well. If um, uh. e- even even within a year of uh, the actual battle, you're getting such massive differences and fictionalization of what really happened, um, hmm. which is quite an interesting <laughs> side point to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want, I just made a note here about the guy called Sigarlin, who's the uh, he's the heir to Highgarden, mm. uh, or he's the second. I think he's the second eldest brother, and mm. sort of Mar- Marjorie's older brother, and then she's got an older brother still who's back in Highgarden, and he yeah. just seems another one of these. Every so often, you come across the ones who are sort of how knights were supposed to be. He seems yeah. quite decent and yeah. almost like the conscious. Um, the, the conscience of this uh, of this group, and uh, that's when a, that's a fool's errand and no yeah. mistake, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just little things like when Joffrey um, pours, um, uh, he, he, Joffrey wanders over at some point in the feast and pours his entire massive goblet of wine over Tyrion's head as further provocation, just to show how 
powerless yeah. Tyrion is. And you yeah. just hear Sigal next to Tyrion just murmured, that was ill done, uh, yeah. Your Grace. And it's sort of yeah. like he's, he's almost, he's, he's, he feels the need to say something. He's like, this isn't right, but everybody else is going along with it because he's the king, you know. Yeah, but I mean, being that, that's a risky move. I mean, fair enough. Mm. He's the bride's brother, so he's unlikely to get his nuts cut off then and there. <laughs> but <laughs> well, first of all, you wouldn't put it past Joffrey. Second of all, it's it's like oh, like being in North Korea and trying to be like a responsible development practitioner in North <laughs> Korea, isn't it? It's like speaking up for Hugh, speak, trying to be the amnesty chief in in Pyongyang. <laughs> it's not going to go well for you, mate. Like <laughs> the system is ranged against you. You're saying it's an uphill struggle. I'm saying it's an uphill struggle, and I think I think I think the characterization bears me out there. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of all this humiliation of Tyrion, Joffrey uh, has this massive wedding pie. He's got a big handful of that. He's stuffing that in his mouth, and then he's <laughs> drinking from this massive uh, ornate goblet full of wine. He's getting drunk, having a roaring good time at the expense of specifically Tyrion, and suddenly. Um, he his throat closes up and he goes from sort of struggling to get his breath to choking to to dying to dead and it happens very quickly and everything sort of turn that gets very serious very quickly doesn't it and no it's, kidding. it's also shit gets real <laughs> yeah it's also i mean he dies hard it's a horrific death isn't it yeah 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 I mean, and I think it kind of had to be because this is Joffrey. This is like primary antagonist, I would say, because mm-hmm. I think I think he's overtaken his mother for like sheer malevolence, which is quite a trick. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, like it just—you can almost hear, even in the book, you can almost hear the the the, the sort of bow scraping across the strings, can't you? The sort of like jolly fiddle, jolly fiddle. <laughs> Mm. The king is dead. Yeah. Like it's it's a real kind of right hand turn. Um, especially, I don't know what you think about this, but I felt like this was even more surprising because it came so soon after the red wedding. Because I thought that was my fill of big character, you know, big plot moments. I was like, "Fucking hell, Rob's dead! Shit!" Well, that's it for this book. There's just going to be a lot more walking around, a lot more setting up the plot for later <laughs> novels. And then, and then this happens again as well. And I'm like, bloody hell, George, you've you found your plot boots. Well done. <laughs> no one Were you safe, expecting this when you read it? No, it was a real shock. Yeah, especially coming when it does in this completely safe environment. Even more. So. At least, I mean, even at the red wedding, you had a sense of something not quite right, and there was this tension, wasn't there? Whereas here, there's no real... I mean, the Tyrion's getting humiliated and you're worrying what's going to... The, the worry in this, the tension in this scene, up in, in this chapter, up until this point, is how far is Joffrey going to go? Is Tyrion going to get out of this alive if Joffrey mm. decides to take it even further and further? Yeah. And, and, then, and it's almost... It creeps upon the blind side that anyone else could be in, in peril, really, or in any kind yeah. of danger. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that Tyrion as well we're very married to how Tyrion feels about Joffrey aren't we? Yeah, we feel like Tyrion does, mostly dis- a mixture of disgust, a little bit of fear and and mostly sort of anger mm. and uh, at the end as he, as he's dying he, he, see, he, he sees how scared Joffrey looks and he thinks God he's just, he's just 13, he's just a boy mm-hmm. and I think that that is important as part of Tyrion's character and also just to sort of 
remind us as, as readers about it as well before we get too caught up in the sort of narrative of great a, a baddie's dead you know? <laughs> yeah yeah, Which yeah i think it's quite interesting I, actually you're absolutely right here i am kind of dancing on his grave and there's more to it than that um as much as i would like to just dance around singing schadenfreude <laughs> uh, it's it's different <laughs> yeah it's yeah. quite interesting but uh yeah so it's a horrific death and yeah. uh, the chapter ends with cersei cradling the body and pointing the finger squarely at Tyrion who's now holding the the goblet in a in a ra- rather foolish move. It's yeah, in a poorly thought through. <laughs> it's, just like, it's a real anchor man. Oh, I instantly regret this. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that Tyrion's um head and heart have a bit of a battle in the last few seconds before he's accused where he thinks mm. I should get out of here because yeah. this doesn't look good. And what he yeah. does is he goes towards Cersei to comfort her, his sister. Yeah. And he's, yeah. the, you know, the response is he's accused of regicide. Uh, good word use there, by the way. I'm enjoying that. Not a word that one gets to use very often. What, regicide? More no. often in Game of Thrones <laughs> than in other circumstances. <laughs> yeah. um, I enjoyed that. I'm, just, I'm a fan of archaic um, <laughs> vocabulary. But um, no, I, at Cersei... Oh, Cersei, in this moment, you know, a mother cradling her dying son. If ever there was a time you were going to feel sorry for Cersei Lannister, it is now. Mm. And then. In that very moment where you're, you might even start to melt a bit towards it, she looks up, points her finger at somebody who couldn't, is very unlikely to have had anything to do with it, and accuses him of murder, and you're like... Ugh. Well, All right, especially come on, we're not come down on, two bad guys. He, he's got the means. He, he's he's got the classic two Tyrion here from a. If you don't know him very well, and she doesn't because she's never took any interest, uh, he's got he's got yeah. the means and the motive, hasn't he? And he's standing at well, the scene. Well, has crime. he got the means? I mean, fair enough. Joffrey's been picking on him all afternoon, but it's not like he's kind of nipped off to fill his his hollow rings with poison so he can cunningly slip in something while he's serving the wine. Yeah. Like if he did, if he did poison the cup, and it's a fucking massive cup as well isn't it yeah like it would be it would have been very difficult for him to lift or indeed see over in one of the descriptions you know it is about three foot tall yeah so like how's he supposed to sort of like what's he gonna do hold it behind his back and slip in a little bit of arsenic or something yeah i don't buy it but i mean he, i buy he, the motive absolutely yeah but i don't you, buy the method you've got the, the opportunity motive. i would say for the means because joffrey makes it if joffrey's winding him up all the way through the feast and he makes him his cup bearer so, jo- so Tyrion's in charge of the guy's drink for the next hour or two and mm. so you think at some point you've got ample opportunity to poison someone there. If you, if you want to poison someone, if you want to poison someone's drink, the very best mm. role you could be taking is the role, the guy whose job it is to make sure the guy's drink's full and that's what Tyrion's got. <laughs> That's true, but he that's forced upon him. He didn't turn up capering and going, yeah, Lorks, master, let me fill your cup. You know, <laughs> all he's trying to do is sit quietly at the end of the table with the wife that hates him and get through the day without, like, whilst being very, very drunk as well. The last thing you're going to do if you're going to try and pull off an assassination is get hammered first. Yeah, true. So, I, you know, I, I don't buy it. I mean... What do you? Th- uh, I, I'm about to blunder into Matt's bunker full of plot spoilers. Aren't I? <laughs> do, you, do you reckon he did it? <laughs> well, I'd say he's got the means and the motive, but also being inside Tyrion's head, 
gives us yeah. a, 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 far, a fairly strong pointer as to, you know, I think if he did what do he it, thought he was doing. I think if he did yeah. do it, it's a cheat on George Martin's part because he's managed to do yeah. it without thinking about it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's true, isn't it? Tyrion, happily thinking about nothing else in case anybody was listening to his thoughts, poisoned the king. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a pretty strong case of the defence, although one that will yeah, not stand up in court. Right so. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Can you imagine that if, if inner monologues were permissible as evidence in court? <laughs> yeah. I swear, Your Honour, I was just thinking all the time about the football. There's nothing else. <laughs> um, if we just take a quick moment to uh, to think about the fact that you know, from a from a narrative point of view, from a, a novel's point of view, or a book or a series point of view, are you are you? I mean, we've we've made jokes about being glad to see Joffrey go, but um, mm. I mean, I'll put this out there. I'm a little sad to see him go because he's such a fantastic, just one of those classic evil characters that you can just enjoy hating. There are a, there are a lot of characters in this book who are quite grey and different shades yeah. of grey. And even someone like Tywin Lannister is... You can see certain things that have turned him into who he is and certain motives that he has. Um, but Joffrey's mm. one of the few characters he's just, he's just black. He's just, he's just yeah. a bad character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's true. Um... Although, like I was saying, I actually find the kind of the fact that Joffrey is so one-note evil, he was beginning to grate on me a little bit because mm. I didn't. It meant that I didn't feel any tension whenever he was around because I, mm. I just assumed the worst was going to happen. And um, uh, so, I don't know. I think I, I definitely feel the I'm happy he's dead. More mm. than I feel the I'm sorry he's gone, particularly since the Lannisters as a family are still so powerful, and yeah. Tywin's Ma- still there, and Cersei's still there, and you know, yeah. Um, but also, actually, there's a bit of me that kind of hopes since so Rob's been killed. So at that point, you start thinking, right? So this isn't about the Starks versus the Lannisters. I'm really invested in that, but clearly George isn't because he's just off them. Fine, and then he kills Joffrey as well, making it even more likely that where the where the book's going to go next is not going to be about Starks versus Lannisters, which is kind of sad, because mm-hmm. that's definitely the most interesting storyline in the series so far, but that does mean that perhaps something good is going to get brought in. You know, like perhaps yeah. they're going to go in an interesting direction here. So to that extent, I'm not sad. Obviously, there's something quite nice in being able to hate somebody so unambiguously, but, you know, I'll find somebody else. Don't you worry about that. I'm a very <laughs> hateful person, Matt. I'll find somebody. <laughs> So maybe maybe Joffrey kind of reached the end of his sell by date anyway. Uh, that's um, true. As a character, yeah, yeah I think that's and, a good and way I, th- it. I think you're right about how it's useful to if you've got a if you've got a seven book series, it's useful to move the plot onto something else as well. You don't want seven books of Starks v Lannisters, do you? Because well, it gets I, tiresome after a while. I, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have minded so much, but you know, <laughs> but no, no, we have Red God versus Cold Gods, and fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the story that's being pitched. He's gonna have to work quite hard to get me invested in it, but I'm along for the ride. <laughs> All right, let's go to the last chapter for today, which is Sansa. Um, Sansa's pulling pulled a sort of a an escape attempt. She's run off from the feast, um, and now her Sedontos, the uh, her Florian, if you if you use his nickname, is getting her out of the city. Hmm. And uh, he's really, really drunk, and I mean so drunk he can barely stand up. 
partly because he's terrified and partly because he's a drunk anyway. But um, <laughs> I don't know. What did you feel about this this chapter from Sansa's point of view? Were you scared? Were you worried about her? Was it was it te- was it tense or I don't know? How did you feel? I'll be honest. A lot of stuff started bubbling back to the surface that I haven't consciously thought about Sansa for quite a while now, but just about how she's really stupid. Like, so I was just expecting her to do something dumb, like suddenly remember some fairy tale that meant that she had to yell out somebody's name really loudly and they get caught or something. (laughs) You know, that was the sort of tension I felt. It wasn't, are they going to get caught? It's, is Sansa going to shoot herself in the foot yet again? (laughs) Um, Was the sort of thing I felt there. Although she was quite curious, because to be honest with you, I had Sir Dontos down as just a creepy old lech. I didn't have him down as some actually kind of pull his finger out and do something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, because he up up until now, it just seems like it's probably all talkless, isn't it? And it's just some creepy older guy preying on a vulnerable, uh, innocent girl. Yeah. And but it, it turns out he is he is getting her out of the city, all, albeit for for his own motives. Yeah. But um, there's this. I mean, there's this. There is. I tell you what, George Martin does well. In terms of action sequences, mm. climbing, climbing stuff. <laughs> oh, Do you remember when when yeah. when Catelyn's climbing up towards the Eyrie, and it, and when Jon's climbing the wall, and now when Sansa's trying to climb down this almost sheer cliff face outside King's Landing, um, he really does these quite well. Because at that point, I genuinely thought Sansa could die, and Sedontus almost certainly was going to, in his drunken stupor was almost certainly going to fall to his death yeah. and I was amazed that they both made it down but it was a really good tense moment that Yeah, actually, you are right, he, he writes a good tense scene, doesn't he, George hmm. um, but I was just to be honest with you, yeah, I felt it during that, but I was still thinking about the rest of the the rest of the scenario you know, hmm. like what else this was about did, did, you, did you feel that this was high stakes with Sansa trying to get away? Did you think that should Sansa be caught, then she's in serious trouble now because she's got, again, got a motive to want the king dead because of how he's treated her and Mm. she's fled the scene of the crime? Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is, she's in so much danger here. It's like just the the stupidest time to try and run away. But then again, could that have been, could that have been manufactured? Like, could, could this, is this, has, has Sodontos somehow done this? Because he suggests, he, you know, he capers around and does all these things and, you know, sort of... You know, mm. maybe he can get away with it in a way that a prince or Tyrion can't. But um, all of this, you know, with, with what happens at the end of this chapter, you've got to wonder whether Littlefinger is crazy enough to kill the king in that case, because that's what it would be, right? Mm. This whole thing yeah. would have been, you know, in order to get his hands on Sansa. Now... Littlefinger is a creepy motherfucker, um, to be sure. Um, but I'm not certain he's quite that crazy. You know, he's a very calculating guy. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, well, it seems that... I mean, so, so the end of this chapter is that um, Sansa's rode out to this ship off the, off the just outside King's Landing, and it turns out that it's Littlefinger, it's Baelish who's got her out of the city and he's going to take her home mm. wherever home may be now and um, his final his, his way of sort of keeping Sedontos quiet and keeping the secret of her escape is by killing Sedontos as well he gets he gets two arrows through his yeah. one, one through his throat and one somewhere else for his trouble <laughs> um, it turns out he yeah, 
<laughs> it turns out he um, delicately done that. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it, it it turns out he he did he got Sansa right for gold, who a promise of gold. Yeah, and um, Littlefinger says that you know you got you got to kill people like that if you want them to keep quiet because he's a drunk and once he'd spent his gold he'd sell the secret for some more gold because all he cares about is getting drunk and. Um, it, I don't know. There's some like, kind of logic that, to that, isn't there? There is, but do you know what it reminded me of is the conversation we had last time about Tywin Lannister and his thing about you know like you've got to we had to kill the kids when we took over the kingdom, otherwise it would have been you know it was, it was distasteful, would it was politically expedient, and um, mm. and Littlefinger here doesn't even seem to have this, the sense that it's a distasteful thing to do. So how's <laughs> this for a character reference, right? For Peter Baelish, he's kind of like Tywin Lannister. But without the same sense of moral regret. <laughs> wow. I know, that's how bad you are, yeah. isn't it? And he probably thinks he's doing something that kind of makes sense or is sort of right. And somebody just yeah. needs to take him aside, sit him down, buy him a pint, and be like, Peter, you're a knob end, mate. You just, <laughs> everybody thinks so. Nobody likes you. <laughs> yeah. Now, I suppose to, to, to go back to your point about, you know, did he mean to have Sansa there till the last minute he seems like he did yeah um and he could have got her out before the wedding I suppose um <clears throat> it seems that he will be the prime suspect now yeah for for doing this for killing the king and if if he did then maybe he wanted Sansa to to get the blame because he certainly puts her in the position where she should get the blame now if she if she chooses this moment to run away, if he chooses this moment to take Sansa out of the picture, yeah, it's at the moment when um, it will make her the prime suspect. If yeah. she disappears the morning of the wedding, it's she's still there's still something suspicious, but it's nothing near the same level as her deciding to get away as Joffrey's dying. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. Did he has Peter Baelish done this because that means that Sansa will have nowhere else to go? But if he has, he's going to have to keep her hidden because he can't go on serving the crown whilst mm. holding a fugitive like that. Or has he literally just done it for the money? Has mm. he has he just kind of stolen her in order to get the ransom or to get the reward? You know, I captured her sailing away from the coast or whatever. Um. So it's either yeah. for money, well, actually, actually, or uh, we, to we, like for control over her, or for the weird feeling of like controlling the daughter of somebody he used to have the weirdest possible crush on, right? Mm. Sorry, what yeah. were you saying? I was going to say he he pretty much should, I've, I've got this wrong. He pretty much admits to doing it here, doesn't he? Does he when he speaks to her? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he says. Um, because he, he says the reason for for doing what he does um, for killing the king is to keep everybody guessing because he's got no motive for doing it Sansa says you know I don't understand why you killed Joffrey you know he gave you Harrenhal he made you Lord Paramount of the Trident all this mm. and Littlefinger says I had no motive besides I'm a thousand leagues away always keep your foes confused if they're never certain who you are or what you want they can't know what you're likely to do next it goes on well it goes on to say sometimes the best way to baffle them is to make moves that have no purpose or even seem to work against you remember that when you come to play the game and she says what game and he says the game of thrones oh he gets it in there 
But that's pretty much a... That's like a sociopath's manifesto, isn't it? <laughs> like what he said there. He's pretty much boldly stated that he's incapable of experiencing... Like having the same kind of moral limits on his actions as other people. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah. So have we have we lost one psycho only to gain another one? Because I've thought to this point that Baelish was many <laughs> things, but irrational wasn't one of them. There's a weird rationality to his irrationalness, isn't there? That's the strange thing here, yeah. because he does in a in a sort of crazy way. It does make sense that you know if you want to be complete, if you want to play politics on various different levels sometimes making moves that seem to work against you or have no motive could could give you an advantage later on and you don't lose anything through it. Mm. Um, I think the the point he's making here, he sees himself as a bit of a puppet master, doesn't he? Yeah. And he thinks every so often you chuck a you know, you chuck a bomb in the middle of it all and create yeah. and create a, a bit of chaos and you almost almost use chaos as a tool yeah. to to get what you want. And I suppose if you're little thing, if you're the kind of person who's who's grown up in this system which is built to sort of keep you in your place mm. one of your um, one of your principal weapons one of the things that'll be your friend is chaos when things when the natural order gets ripped up yeah and I suppose the reason kings uh, you know people like Rob and to a lesser extent you know people like Rob and Stannis and to a lesser extent Joffrey and Tywin um, stick to the rules mm. is because the rules are there to keep them in power. Yeah. And if you're someone like Littlefinger, sticking to the rules doesn't help you, does it? Actually, you make a very, very excellent point there. Like, so, and I think I think that actually gives me slightly more hope because until this point, I was thinking of Littlefinger, what Littlefinger says here, as being like just sort of, hey, you lost one wild card, but I've got another one here for you. You know, I thought it was just going to be yet more kind of <laughs> pointless malevolence with no plot, but um, or no no characterization behind it. Whereas actually, like, this has a lot of characterization because he comes from this very lesser family and, you know, grew up as a, a, the ward of a less of a bigger house and, and, you know, has this whole personal investment in it with Catelyn and the rest of it. Um, and so if that all turns into he becomes this sort of, sort of, I don't know, like kind of anarchist in the 1920s sense of just blow stuff up to see what happens. Then, like, that's quite an interesting idea, and I wouldn't mind seeing more of that character. So, yeah, mm. that's quite interesting. Well, on that quite interesting note, we will we will leave it for today. We will, and and we will move on to the reading for next week, which now uh, we start from. A chapter about Jamie. What's the page number again? Hold on. Is it two sixty nine? Two two sixty nine. That's absolutely right. Chapter about Jamie, which begins the King is dead, mm. which obviously is no is no news to us anymore. Mm. And you're reading as far as mm-hmm. a chapter about Jamie again, which begins a white book sat on a white table, right. and that's page three three eight. Mm-hmm. So read from read from page two six nine to three three eight, and it's a nice big chunk of story, nice big chunk of plot. Excellent. And that'll be that'll be next week. There we go. Why? And uh, the other only the thing, if you've got any comments to make on the podcast or on the book, you can send them in to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail dot com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail dot com. 
or we are on Twitter at Shark with Royal, or you can find us on Facebook, Shark with Royal Podcast. And we're always happy to hear your thoughts, no matter how daft or serious. Either way, quite happy. There we go.